There is a whole world of true crime locked behind geographical restrictions and language barriers, but today we're going to be breaking down those barriers and exploring an unknown world of obscure mysteries. Join me as we enter the rabbit hole of region locked mysteries. In a few of the cases I've covered here on the channel, forced confessions have played a major part in a suspect being convicted, and while the torture some suspects endure at the hands of law enforcement is not right, sometimes it can lead to a genuinely bad person being put behind bars. But in other cases, like the first case we're going to be discussing today, it can lead to an innocent person facing consequences for a crime that they did not commit. So, let me introduce you to Nian Bain, a man who lived on a small island in China who had started up a grocery store to earn his keep. He lived in a nice little neighbourhood and he would get on with his neighbours. So, it came as a shock to him when the police showed up at his door one morning in 2006. They told him that his neighbour's children were no longer alive and that they had been poisoned. To make the situation even worse, although they didn't outright state it, Bean believed that the police suspected him as a poisoner. So, what crime was he actually being accused of? Well, let's start from the beginning. In the village that Bean lived in, there were the Ding family and the Chen family. The Dings rented a shop from the Chens, and so did Bean. The Dings were seemingly much closer with the Chens, though, as their family would have meals together on a regular basis. And on this night, it was one of those days that they were planning to eat together. Preparation for the meal started that afternoon, with Ding Yangsha being given some seafood by her father-in-law. She handed it over to Chen Yangzhou and she began to boil it in a pot. And shortly after, her daughter would take over and begin to finalise the food preparation. She cut the food into small pieces and fried them with peppers. To go with the meal, she also made sweet potato porridge and rice porridge for the table. At around 6pm that night, dinner was finally ready and they all took their places at the table, ready to dig in to the delicious meal. And they would enjoy that meal. Ding's three children, Chen and Chen's daughter, all ate up the seafood while the rest stuck to the rice porridge. The decision not to eat the seafood would prove to be a wise decision as just a few hours after the meal had finished, all of the people who had eaten the seafood, the squid to be exact, were showing symptoms of poisoning. Everyone was in a panic, but they thought that they may try to sleep it off. How bad could food poisoning be after all? Well, the answer is very bad, as in the morning, Ding's eldest son and her daughter were found to have tragically passed away in the night as a result of the poisoning. Ten people in total were investigated by the police the same day the children were discovered. The people spoken to included Ding, Ding's surviving son, Chen, Chen's daughter, and Nian Bean. At the scene, police took several objects in for investigation. The objects included all of the pots used to make the meal, the plates, the bowls, the leftover fish, and a rice cooker. From some of these objects, the police got the evidence that they were looking for. Traces of fluoroacetic acid, a poison that is extremely toxic towards humans and can be deadly in some cases, as seen here. Investigators were desperate to solve the case, 
but searches of the building that this occurred in turned up no evidence that could be used to track the killer down. It was at their most desperate point that they decided that one man was responsible for the crime, and they pieced together stories from the past few weeks to give him a motive and no alibi. The man they wanted to go down for the crime was Nian Bean. They knocked at his door for a second time, this time with handcuffs at the ready to take him in for questioning. He was being arrested for the murder of his neighbour's two children. They had somehow managed to conclude that the door of Bean's shop was likely to contain traces of the poison used in the crime, and they even had an elaborate story made up as to why he would do this. They claimed that a few days prior, Ding had been responsible for him losing a sale in his shop, and so he decided to take his revenge. He apparently crafted a plan to obtain the poison, sneak into their home, and subtly pour it into a kettle that was going to be used in the meal. He claimed that this wasn't true though, but the investigators weren't going to give up that easily. They took him into the interrogation room where he refused to budge. He stood by that he had absolutely no part in the crime, but with no other suspects in mind, investigators refused to let him leave. Out of the eye of security cameras, police began to threaten him, but when even this didn't force a confession, they decided to utilise more extreme methods. According to Bean, they bound his hands together and hung him from the ceiling with his toes barely touching the ground. He was poked between his ribs with sticks of bamboo just to add to the torture. The final method they utilised was tying books around his stomach with each officer taking turns to slam a hammer into him. The books were in place to prevent bruising so that no one would believe him if he dared to speak out about what he had endured. The officers were in shock when even this didn't work. Instead of confessing and watching his life fall before his eyes, he instead decided to try and end his own life by biting down on his tongue in the hopes he could cut through it. Police weren't about to let this happen though, and so they did the final thing that they could think of. They threatened to hold his wife accountable for the crime if he didn't confess, and he knew what they meant. They were going to torture her too if he didn't take the fall, and it was this final threat that had convinced him. He confessed to ending the lives of the children by putting poison in the kettle, and the case was marked as solved, with the investigators being rewarded for their hard work in the case. Bean was sentenced to death in 2008, and he felt completely hopeless due to the fact that China convicted 99.9% of those on trial. It wasn't easy for his family on the outside either, as on top of the news that their loved one had been convicted, his home, where his parents, wife and four-year-old son lived, had been ransacked by furious members of the victim's family. Bean's family had been forced to flee for their own safety. One family member had her doubt so, and she was determined to fight for her loved one. This family member was Nian Jianlan, the sister of Bean, and in the years he was locked up, she was crafting the best legal team possible to fight for his freedom. She gave up her job and hired the first lawyer, who immediately spotted a lot of holes in the story that the police had crafted. Bean had stated in his confession that he had been sold the poison by a man, describing his appearance. In court, prosecutors used this description to find a man to testify against Bean. But the man looked nothing like the description Bean had given, and upon further investigation by Jianlan, 
She discovered that he didn't even sell the poison used in the killing. Thinking this was enough, they would take to the courtroom in an attempt to get his conviction overturned. Unsurprisingly, this attempt didn't work, as the prosecutors refused to share any evidence that wasn't in their favour, and the lawyer didn't challenge the confession, but only slated the police for not following the standard procedure to obtain it. The police struck complete fear into everyone, and the lawyer was no different. He may have feared that he too would be a victim of torture at the hands of law enforcement if he dared to call it out. So, Jian Lan's defense team were basically laughed out of the court, with Bean's death sentence remaining intact. Unhappy with how the lawyer had acted in the courtroom, she quickly got rid of him and hired a new one. The lawyer was a woman named Zhang and she hoped that she would understand what she was going through as another woman. Over the next year, the pair would work hard together to debunk every aspect of the case that had led to a conviction, but when they finally got to his confession, they knew it would be a hard task. By that point though, Zhang had really bonded with the sister, and so she decided to stop charging for her time. It was at this point that Zhang would search for other lawyers and forensic experts to work on the case behind the scenes to build up the most powerful defense that the court had ever seen. Zhang would discover some crucial details about the police investigation. The only people who had fallen ill were those who had eaten the squid, and the kettle that the poison had allegedly been put in contained no traces of poison according to examinations carried out on the item. The police also poorly documented the evidence taken from the scene, but there was one crucial detail remaining that she hoped could crack the case for good. She had managed to get her hands on Bean's full interrogation tape. It was four hours long. However, she would spot something at about the 11 minute mark that immediately caught her eye. For the first 11 minutes, Bean remained relatively silent and refused to answer any of the interrogating officer's questions. After this time though, there was an obvious cut in the footage as the camera angle had switched. Bean now looked as if he had been crying for hours and he spilled all of the details about his plot to kill the children, confirming her theory that the footage had been cut. Interrogation logs that she had obtained suggested that there were two hours missing from the footage. This was enough for a retrial to be awarded. However, with police refusing to answer any questions that the lawyers had about the interrogation and the case in general, the death penalty once again stood, with Bean's final days rapidly approaching. It seemed that Bean had accepted his fate as he sat in his cell waiting for the fateful day to come, but all hope wasn't lost. Around this time, pressure was growing on the Chinese authorities to consider reforms, pressure that hadn't been seen for decades. The police had been shown up after two murder convictions had been overturned after the victims turned up alive. This shone a light on the torture used to get confessions in both of these convictions, and so, a new policy was announced that meant the Supreme People's Court had to review all death sentences in the country. Beans was one of these sentences that had to be reviewed, and he was granted yet another retrial in 2010. In this trial, due to revisions made as a result of the pressure, the lawyers that were fighting Beans' case could finally question the police about what actually happened behind the scenes. The revisions also allowed them to call independent forensic experts to make statements in court, 
which proved to be crucial in getting the outcome they were hoping for. They found out that police officers had made contradictory statements and that they had actually had a completely different suspect in mind at the start of all of this. They discovered that police had also hidden the fact that the kettle had not even been used to make any of the meal. Despite all of the discoveries made in the case, the court came to no verdict after four days. The police did hand over one more piece of evidence though, that they claimed proved that the specific poison was in the kettle water and in the victims' bodies. Little did they know, it would be these slides that would finally give the defence team a breakthrough. In the months following the court hearing, Bean remained rotting away in his prison cell. Running out of ideas, the defence team decided that they were going to take the slides to experts abroad after his sister had come up with the idea. They sent them off to the expert, and he got back to them quickly with exactly what they needed. The expert had discovered that police had used one test to claim multiple results, and had even forged test results to support the conclusion that they had come to about Bean. The defence finally had Bean's freedom card in their pocket, and they unleashed it in the court at a hearing later that year, and it proved to be enough. The High Court cleared Bean of all charges and ordered his immediate release from prison. In a rare case of release, he had actually been found innocent, and when his handcuffs were removed, he grabbed his sister for a hug and shouted his innocence to the world. The team that his sister had built up was once so good at their job that they had managed to save a man from the brink of execution in a country with a 99.9% .9 conviction rate, a task that seemed impossible at first. Bean has struggled since being released from prison, and has experienced outbursts of anger that he cannot control. He is sent into a panic attack if he hears iron gates opening, and he cannot be around steel. His own son also refuses to call him dad because of how long he has been out of his life. He has also been diagnosed with severe PTSD and depression, and, due to his family finances at the time, they could not afford any treatment. This is not the end of the hell that he was put through, though, as the police had reopened the investigation into the murders in 2014, and he was once again made suspect number one. As a result, his requests for a passport were denied, and he could not travel to Hong Kong to visit a psychologist who offered to treat his mental disorders free of charge. Eight years in prison is clearly going to leave anyone feeling helpless, but it is extremely sad in the case of Bean. For his mental suffering, he was given 1.14 million yuan by the state in 2015, but this will do little in repairing the damage that was done at the hands of the police force. Before we move on to the second and final case of this video, I would like to give a quick shout out to my patrons Neil, Morrigan, Alex Rod, K4 Silver, Entrepreneur, Kalechiki, and Chelsea Weinzel, who make these videos possible. Just to let you know, all of my videos are also available on Spotify if you wish to download them or listen to them with or without video. I'm also thinking of uploading exclusive content there if that's something you guys would be interested in, let me know. Now, without further hesitation, on to the final. We've all heard of the popular Alisa Lam case and the theories surrounding it, but one lesser known case got some attention in the media 
due to its similarities to the disappearance and disturbing discovery of Lam. In 2008, a 37-year-old woman named Lu would enter a building in Taiwan, hand-in-hand -hand with her four-year-old daughter. But, after entering the elevator of the large building, they would never be seen again. The manager of the building had initial concerns about letting them in as he was very suspicious. However, he stated that the pair quickly made their way to the elevator without waiting for him to say it was okay. He started to get even more suspicious and concerned when he realised that they never left the building. And so, he called the police. Investigators immediately arrived at the scene and the first thing they did was analyse the footage from security cameras around the building. It was on these cameras that a key piece of evidence would come to light. The security footage from the elevator. The camera showed Lou entering the elevator, looking extremely scared and nervous. And when the elevator doors didn't close, the pair removed the red jackets that they were wearing and took off their shoes. Without waiting a second longer, Lou grabbed her daughter and exited the elevator, out of sight of any nearby camera. The camera footage had led the police to believe that the pair had come to the building to end their lives. The fact they took off their shoes had led investigators to think this, as that was a common thing to do at the time. They carried out a search around the building and the surrounding area. However, despite dozens of police officers being tasked with performing the search, no evidence came to light and no bodies were found. The next step was to search the inside of the building and the inner workings. However, this also turned up nothing. They searched each individual room, and they went as far as to search the water tank that supplied the building. But still, no bodies were discovered. People that had been inside or around the building that day were questioned next. But even they couldn't provide the answers the police were looking for, as not a single person, bar the manager, had seen them enter or exit the building. It was as if they had never existed, and if the security camera footage had not existed, the manager would have been the only person to have seen them at all. With absolutely no evidence to speak of, they took to the public, requesting help to crack this case by asking the loved ones of the mother and daughter to come forward. And someone did. The husband of Lou spoke to the police and said that they had four children together, but that they had not been together for over a year. Lou was responsible for taking care of the four children, and so it was even more confusing that she had left the others at home while going to do whatever she had planned. She had told her eldest daughter that she was going to visit a relative for a few days with the youngest, and she only found out about her mother and sister's possible fate when she saw it on the news. The eldest daughter has spoken to the media many times over the years, giving more information about her mother and begging for some answers. The most intriguing detail that sparked a lot of theories was a revelation that Lou was a very religious person. The fact that she was wearing red may have tied into this. In a lot of countries, it is believed that wearing red attracts ghosts and spirits, while others believe that it wards them off. People believe that they may have taken off their jackets when the door refused to close because they believed the spirit may have been tampering with it, and so they did everything in their power to get it to stop. This is quite an extreme theory though, and if I had to guess, I would say that the truth is much sadder than that. To me, 
this seems to just be a case of mental illness claiming another life. I think it's clear that the mother simply went to the building with the intention of ending her own life and the life of her daughter. However, it is strange that she picked a specific child of hers to carry out the act with her. It's likely that the reason she hasn't been found is because the bodies are hidden somewhere in the building that is hard to get to, like we have seen so many times in the past with cases exactly like this. Another theory that is believable to me is that she was trying to escape an abusive relationship. It's possible that she was trying to make an escape by taking the elevator to a location with no camera coverage, sneaking her and her daughter out of the building and going on to live a new life far away from her old one. I personally believe this theory holds less weight than the mental illness one, however, I wanted to bring it up anyway as it is certainly plausible. Like I said though, this is likely a case of mental health taking someone's life, and that makes us even sadder than any paranormal outcome that people may want to believe. If you want to hear more about disturbing cases and mysteries, then click the playlist on the screen to fall down the rabbit hole.